Happy New Year, everyone. It has been a while since we've been on the mics, but we're excited to be back. Uh, still not in the office together, sadly. Uh, things in New York are, you know, about what you'd probably expect everywhere else in the world. But uh, we took some time off. Did, I did a little bit of traveling. Ryan's preparing for some big life changes. But uh, we we have a lot of stuff to talk about and hoping to get back into this pretty regularly. You know, something nice about podcasts. You can just, like, drop off and you don't get fired from them. <laughs> Isn't that cool? There's no one can fire for I mean, I we can just lose half our was, audience. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that that, you know, was on the table, but sure. <laughs> um, anyways, man, uh, we we started some new work. We've been doing some back-end work. We've been doing some front-end stuff and side projects. But, um, uh, yeah, it's really just about getting back in the swing of things here. We have a lot of ideas for what we want to work on this year. Um. So, uh, what do you want to talk about? Um, have you gotten a chance to play with the server components at all? No, man. That's like that's at the top of my list, but I'm still like I'm still going through my bank statements from the last two months <laughs> and getting caught up on my disaster of a personal finance situation <laughs> Dude, <laughs> due to neglect and uh, New Year's Eve parties. <laughs> <laughs> just ignore it. Just ignore it and go do server components. Just, you know. <laughs> um, okay, let's, why don't we, uh, we save that? Because it's funny, we are, you know, you mentioned we are doing backend work and then there's all this like server component stuff. And I think that it's kind of lining up nicely. Yeah. Um, why don't we talk about some of the just some of our impressions with it, and then we can come back and talk about it once we get a chance to play. But I did watch the I, w- I did watch the video. Um, have you played with them yet? Uh, I just cloned the repo and and ran everything. Um, did you have to run Postgres to get the demo to work? No, she, she has uh, setup instructions for how to do that, but I did not even use the Postgres route. Gotcha. Um, also, as a Rails developer, I always have Postgres running on my computer. Yeah. So. Yeah, not not really a problem. It's a problem for me, and I'm a Rails developer too. <laughs> Just set up a Docker container. Okay, exactly. You lost me halfway through that sentence. Yeah, myself as well. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe we should save that one because I could go back and watch it again. But how about yeah. just quick impressions? Do you, what was your? Uh, I remember I just liked your first take on it when you first watched it. You were basically you had a few things that. I remember you saying, which was, you know, like you were really impressed with the tech and you also like didn't know how you felt about it overall. <laughs> yeah. But it was uh, like impressive. Like you yeah. couldn't help but walking away very impressed. So, yeah, I think my um, my first impression of this was uh, it looked awesome. I think at one point in the demo, uh, Lauren drops uh, SQL statement in a React component. Yeah. And I remember when i was doing a lot of like the server side rendering um just fighting like client side javascript on the server i remember thinking like man i really just want like like a route and this was in ember but i really just want like a route that runs on the server so i can use like express stuff mm-hmm. and and you know make database calls or, or make api calls with like a, a server client that's talking to another server and you know you could whatever when I watched this video and I watched a demo that felt like that, but it, it felt even better than what I was imagining that I needed. Cause I was imagining like two separate contexts when I was doing the server side rendering stuff, but watching that it's, it's one, it's one app. It's one component. It's a component for your app that runs on the server. So I thought that was 
that was really cool. I mean, yeah, you know, really impressive. Um, I guess the other impression I had was like, wow, there's a lot of options for us writing um, UIs. And I, I don't want to say JavaScript apps here. I just want to say UIs, like everything from server-side rendering to what Next has done to the server components and then to things like um, live hot view. Hotwire stuff. Yeah, Hotwire, live view. It just, it just seems like so many good ideas um, or so many ideas that are about to be battle-tested these next few years. And so I think that's really exciting. Yeah, totally. Don't mind me. I'm just fidgeting here with my little light. Uh, <laughs> I noticed I, ha- I haven't didn't get my light set up for this. We're doing this on Zoom. Usually we have our camera set up, but uh, baby steps here because uh, there's just a lot of moving pieces. We've been busy. Um, yeah, I remember you saying that too, uh, specifically after Hotwire came out um, because it just was like, uh, yeah, it's all the stuff happening with Next and Gatsby and the React side and remix you got hot wire you got right um the, the elixir stuff the php uh, stuff and then now this and it's it's um it's pretty interesting um uh you know one thing when you were talking about the fact that you can write sql in your react component and it's all there it made me kind of think some of this technology that you know in the past we've talked a lot about two apps and running two apps and how much of a pain that is and we've had experience building um you know uh rails backends and javascript front ends and for, i know for me personally uh uh changing between those environments both changing your language that you're using and even just changing terminals and running different processes and remembering that stuff that stuff like really slows me down so that's why i feel so productive when i'm in an environment like um you know, a React app with like a Hasura backend where it's basically like one app back to one app. I just get to stay in JavaScript. And then why next with like the server side hooks that are right alongside the component feel good. So all this stuff is some of this stuff is starting to make me think like maybe there it's not a problem with two apps. Uh, if, if conceptually like the, the boundaries there feel small or even non-existent. Yeah, dude, totally. When you, you say like, Oh, switching terminal is, is hard, but it's more than that because now you, wh- where's your data? Your data is in a database and, and you want it on, in a React component for UI. And you have to go through so many steps to get it there. Like you've got to write an API server. You have to come up with an API format. Even if you're using existing like GraphQL or JSON API, you still have to set that stuff up. Um, yeah, do I look better cash- lit right there? How's that? Yeah. A little better? There you go. <laughs> Just worrying about the important things here. <laughs> you've got to get that, uh, that data cached and... Um, yeah, there's just a million things that go wrong there. What happens when you request a thousand records? What happens when you need um, filtering on some relationship? It's just so much goes wrong. And you're like, look, this data is in the database. I just want it from the database. Mm-hmm. And so right. this cuts out all those middlemen. Right. It's like making the transport part just not your concern anymore. Um, so that's just a pretty interesting thing. It's kind of it's I, I just felt like it was a good thing to like keep uh, open mind about. Whereas I think before i would have been like no i absolutely want something that's like a service that's doing the data layer um because i don't want to be writing controllers and rails but maybe what i didn't want to be doing was like switching files and changing environments um but really if like writing a a route handler is the easiest way to get data into my effectively a route handler or a function or whatever is the easiest way to get data in my app then maybe it's fine right yeah 
so that's kind of interesting to see um where that will go but um yeah I, I guess last impression here before i get to go back and i think it'd be good to go back and and take another look at it um and actually play around the demo and then we can talk about it again on another episode but i definitely feel like um you know it's it's for the server components in react are for a specific problem they're solving a specific problem i think i even saw sebastian tweeting and saying if you don't have problems like performance problems effectively uh then you can write your whole app on the client still right yeah i think um, that, i think the problem is is like uh the client lives far away from the data source and so when you waterfall data requests it ends up taking a long time and i think yeah. that's that's a problem that they're specifically trying to solve design to solve yeah right so that so, since the server components live, live close to the database it eliminates that that latency right but what about the fact that they're also i, I think there's this other thing which is related to what we were just talking about which is just that if it simplifies getting data out of sql into your react component that's a completely different problem it's solving right and would they say that that's a it's a valid if that's your only concern and you don't have the problem of waterfalls and and excessive data and performance issues um you know what i'm saying that's kind of a question that i have about it if i was just making my first side project you know i i yeah that's a good that's a great question i saw something that said you know start with client-side rendering mm-hmm. um and then yeah. add this in add in the the server components when you need it so I, my guess would be that you know you don't do that till you have these problems right and this right. right now this doesn't this is different than ssr it doesn't give you back html so this isn't about ssr it's about r- generating the the i guess you call it the first render on the server mm-hmm. for the client so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and it definitely seems like it's um uh it's a consolation of the api does that makes is that the right word it's like uh it's a it's it's a negative in the sense that you're concede it's a you're conceding uh one way of doing things for two uh, in order to get one of these uh benefits so now you have to think yeah. am i writing a client a server or a shared component right and and you have to just you have to be aware of it in some sense it's not transparent right Um, and and even more so you might be writing both but then you really need to to tease it apart to two components right so that one can do data and and one can do you know stateful client-side stuff right 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 so uh yeah pretty interesting stuff um i'll be interested to see how it affects the kind of work i do in my side projects or we do on our our own little projects um as opposed to how it helps a team at Facebook who's dealing with crazy issues of scale. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, For, I guess one of the things like I'm excited about with this is I, I don't know how much me, app developer, will be um, thinking about this. But if, if it's something that just sort of like magically works with like Vercel or Netlify mm-hmm. and I can take advantage of it, uh, I think that's like that's where I see me getting the most mileage out of it. Mm-hmm right basically uh, uh basically it unlocks new abilities to use server stuff without you having to wire up or set anything up or make things talk to each other and integrate those two pieces yeah yeah cool um let's move on uh we let's go back to i mean when was our last podcast it was probably 
pre-Thanksgiving. Yeah, image component, upload component. I think we talked about that. Um, parser combinators, we talked about that. It's probably around here. Um, Tailwind 2 has come out since we since we talked uh, last. That's pretty cool. It's really cool. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember exactly what I wanted to mention here because I wrote down the importance of marketing. I think we've talked about this on the show in the past, but... Um, you know, I think it's cool to see, uh, Adam and the whole team invest in education and things like, uh, trying to make people successful with Tailwind. Tailwind 2 didn't change much from Tailwind 1, you know, after, I mean, they, they added a lot throughout Tailwind 1. They had like all these minor releases, which added all these new features, but Tailwind 2 itself didn't change a lot, but, um, just the importance of everything that's not technical. And again, you know, we've talked about this before on the show, but it's just a good lesson to relearn, you know? Yeah. I think, um, for me, the, the amazing thing about Tailwind too was, was the launch, right? So like it felt like Tailwind relaunched itself, even though Tailwind, like everyone knows what Tailwind is. Right. Um, but the, just like a beautiful website. I mean, the, the animations on that website were amazing. Yeah. Um, so if I, you know, if I had, I say everyone knows what Tailwind too is not everyone does. And I think that if I had never used Tailwind, and um, I had heard about it, and then I saw that Tailwind 2 launched, and I went to that website, I would be super excited. Yeah. So you say, like, yeah, there's not a lot of new features, right? They were just slowly added and deprecated in the, in the 1X releases. Um, but, man, that, yeah, that website's just exciting and beautiful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's just a good lesson, even for us to hear, but if if people are new to web development and they're new to like open source projects and new to think and they and and you like thinking about you know what makes technology successful and uh like when mind share and you know uh make people feel like satisfied when they use it and happy to use it and talk about it it's like these are just that the squishy things that are harder for us to pin down than like the api of tailwind versus tachyons right and in some sense, like, um, it's just a huge, uh, you, you think about why like big national companies spend so much money on advertising and marketing, you know, yeah. and it's easy for us to scoff at that, but it's, it's about, um, yeah, it's just all this other stuff. And so it's just worth thinking about, you know, if you're involved in a project or if you're, you know, making, if you're a creator on the internet, making content, you know, it's like if a big company has a hundred, you know, a billion dollar ad budget and they're spending, you know, they're spending 40% of their revenue on advertising and marketing. Like, well, how does that translate to you? And maybe it looks something like this where, again, there's not a lot of there is a lot of code being worked on, but there's also a huge amount of effort and money and time invested in the website and videos. Now they have a YouTube channel. They're making videos all the time about it. And so, you know, it's just uh I just think it's a really interesting thing that is worth uh, chewing chewing on. So, yeah. yeah, I think they just absolutely nailed it. And it's just it's also just really cool as someone who's done a lot of open source and seen that cycle of people who do it and then get burned out because they don't have any like sustainable way to fund it. This is basically a way they've they've been able to do that. So it's really cool. And I I'd love to see like it seems like more and more people are experimenting with different ways of doing this with open source, you know? Yeah. Um, yes. I so think it's that's great. A, I mean, for yeah. us as users, like 
I want every, every every piece of tech I use to be a paid SaaS product or a yeah. paid open source product. Yeah, seriously. I don't just want to rely on someone else's goodwill. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, the first of all, that's super unfair. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So really cool stuff. Um, you have this note here about composition of gesture and spring. Was that something you were doing? I think something you were doing and showing me and I was impressed by it. So I put it in here. Yeah, that was probably from my image cropper thing. Um, it is pretty neat. This library React use gesture, which I'm using on that on that video course that I'm making on, on YouTube, is um, it's the boundaries are pretty nice. You know, they're they're basically like imagine the DOM gave you uh, on drag handler the way it gives you on click handler. You know, and what would that look like? Well, you would just do like you know image on drag, and then you get a callback that fires and tells you how many pixels you've dragged, how many pixels you've dragged from your original thing, how long this drag was, basically all the metadata about the drag um, so that you could do whatever you want to with it. And that's pretty awesome. So that's basically what it does. And nice. it debounces it so it's not going to be crazy and kill your app. <laughs> you know, So it's using request animation frame um, so it doesn't go more than 60 frames a second in terms of how fast it's firing. But uh, if you want to, for example, move the image, then you can just track the offset. And so that's what this this gesture library does. Gives you on drag and then on zoom and a bunch of other stuff. But those are the ones I'm using to build this image cropper. And then, um, you know, uh, there's some animation in the image cropper because I'm trying to basically mimic what you get on iOS. And so like when you let go, when you when you when you drag end, you want to go back, you want to animate back. Uh, and the gesture library doesn't help you actually do that. Uh, or even if you want to flick something to the corner, let's say like in FaceTime, where you have the image of the person you're talking to, and you want to flick it to like a corner, and you want to calculate which corner is the best corner to flick it to based on the the vector that you, you flicked. You can do that with this. So React Use Gesture would let you calculate the vector based on, you know, how fast you went and everything. And then you could calculate which corner would be the closest, but then you wouldn't use React use gesture to actually move it there because that's one of the confusing points because all the demos on React use gesture have all these animations, but it's not from React use gesture. React use gesture is just giving you those uh, data points, which you can then use with React Spring or React Motion or even Framer Motion um, to actually do the animation. And the reason you want to use those is because they run animations outside of Re React's normal rendering cycle, so they avoid like re-rendering your app with all of react and they can be performant and then they do their own things with using gpu accelerated css transforms and using request animation frame so again you don't have to think about any of that stuff which is just awesome um and the fact that react i was able to get react use gesture working with framer motion when basically that integration i couldn't find any example or documentation of it ever because react use gesture was built i think before Framer Motion was around and all the examples use React Spring, but I've been wanting to use Framer Motion just because I find it a bit more elegant than React Spring was pretty awesome. Cool. That's going to be exactly what I was going to ask you is yeah. how is the API going between two different animation libraries? I mean, it's really cool because basically Framer Motion gives you these motion values. So Framer Motion's happy path way to do it is to use like a motion.div and then do animate equals and then do, let's say, x colon some value so if you have some react state that's like x position and it starts off at zero 
and you click a button and set it to 100, that motion.div, if it goes from x0 to 100 when you call set state or whatever, it'll animate it. Mm-hmm. So that's like the high level API from Framer Motion. But they give you this low level API, which is like you can create a new motion value. And then if you call x dot set zero and then you call in some action handler or render cycle x dot set 100 frame or motion is going to animate that value from zero to 100 smoothly and so then if you put it on a motion div or something you can do that but basically it lets you get at the motion value separate from like where you're rendering a motion component and that's how you integrate it so you have this on drag callback and let's say on drag end happens, well, you can just call x dot set zero, and it'll just whoop, wherever it is, it'll animate it right back to zero. And, um, and, w- and when you call x dot set zero, you're going through Framer Motion, so you don't you're not going through like a React render cycle with that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you do like in your render function, you say like x equals it's something like new motion values, not, but it's something like that. Create motion value. And then uh, it's like set state. It's like use state. It's basically like use state. It might even be use motion value. But basically you get X equals use motion value zero. And then so on subsequent renders, it's not going to be recreating it. It basically is just, it's just cached and it's doing its thing. And then it gives you this X motion value, which has like, I think like an X dot get and an X dot set. But if you ever call either of those things, you're not going to re-render the app, um, I think. Yeah, you're not yeah, going to re-render the app. Yeah. yeah. So what you do is you use React State or or something else, whatever is going to cause a re-render. But uh, yeah, or when you just let go of dragging, um, you just call x dot set zero, and um, and then it just animates it back. So you yeah. don't even have to worry about it. Yeah, because because so the element is owned by Framer Motion, so it can animate outside of React. Exactly. So React just never even knows that a render happened. Exactly. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I think it's really neat. So that I, I'm it's coming back to me why I wanted to talk about this. I think it's really neat that this, the composition story between these two things, because I would think like if you asked me to design a drag and drop library, I, I would have all of that stuff in there. Right. And that's just that's just such a high level. And it, I can tell you from my experience that I would make a huge mess of that library. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's I think it's cool how you. Yeah. huge testament to the design of it i mean they were both i think i mean both libraries were written without knowledge of each other you know which is crazy uh but it's exactly the insertion points you need i mean basically framer motion i think if you wanted to reduce framer motion down to its essence it would just be these motion values um that can re-render outside of react or whatever and and i guess the motion divs and stuff uh but there's a lot of higher level apis in it to make it nice to use but i think those are the base the bare bones so um just like mutable bags of data that that you can get and set um that that happen outside of uh outside of rendering and then and then the the actual elements that know how to read from those you know and um so that's the that's the boundaries with frame or motion and then use gesture again is just like imagine dom gave us on drag and on zoom you know and differentiated a pinch from a swipe or whatever that's kind of what some of the stuff that it's doing and so it's pretty awesome I mean, it's, it's really awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. So, nice. so yeah, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to keep going with that, but I, I have it all kind of working in a demo of like, so it's the image cropper and then it's also choosing the image and uploading it with your package, your S3 next package. And then, um, but that's basically all the moving parts. So it's, it's pretty awesome. I just need to get, I just need to get back into it. But, um, 
I have it working on the final branch, but it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. And like, just again, the fact that you can kind of, it reminds me of working with D3 when I used to do a lot of D3 where once you learn how to use it, you can make it do whatever, you know, the last time I did drag and drop or gesture stuff, I was using a higher level library. And if it didn't have what I had, I felt like basically powerless, but now I don't feel like that anymore. I feel like if I did need to recreate, um, the flick to a corner with FaceTime, or if I did need to recreate, you know, some, some, some motion or gesture that you would see in a native app, like I would know how to go about doing it. It's all, it's still hard. You still have to do a lot of math. Um, you know, even, oh, another thing I'm going to be doing in the series that I had, uh, was the dampening thing. So again, because these boundaries are so nice, you know, a high level drag and drop would say, make something draggable and then you can drag it. Right. And yeah, that's and you it. get you get an event that's like, oh, you dragged it over this other draggable. Exactly. Or this like this like drop you dragged it to this drop area. Exactly. When were, yeah, when you were talking about that, it's like, yeah, that's what I always use and it's it's awful. Like right. and it's then not it's awful. Like, it, it's it's awful because of what I do with it. It's awful yeah. that, like I make like really just half broken, half baked APIs or apps. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And so um you know, when you're making the image cropper, when you move an image on like let's say instagram you're cropping something you move it past the point point where it's going to snap back it starts slowing down so it's not it's no longer a pixel per pixel for pixel tracking with your finger so uh you start by dragging something it's like if it's like um it's like rubber band scrolling when you scroll past the bottom of a thing like I can show you right here in our little list. Like you, you're it's tracking my finger one to one, but then when I get to the bottom, it's it has this um, this dampening where the scrolling doesn't track as much to let you know you've reached the end. And so, if you just had these higher level APIs that always made it track your finger, you wouldn't be able to do that. But with this, because you get on the one hand the value of how many pixels you've dragged, and on the other, the ability to set whatever you want to the motion value, you can implement uh, dampening. So then I basically was like, I wonder if I can do this. It's like, okay, first, how do you know if you should dampen? Well, if it if the if the list gets to the bottom of the list, if the bottom of the scrollable list is at the bottom of the container, you know there's no more content. So basically, if it's above that, keep doing one to one. But if it's below that, let's start dampening it. And then this is where we were looking up those curves. We did like the square root because the square root of x kind of looks like this. I think we ended. I ended up switching it to log or maybe just square root. Um, I can't remember. I think maybe just log. But basically you say, okay, the new position is no longer just how many pixels I dragged it. It's like the square root of the pixels I dragged it. And you just do that. And all of a sudden it's like it moves slower. And it feels like amazing. It feels like this dampening thing where it's like, wow, I can give my user feedback on this gesture. And it feels like exactly what you would expect in like a native cropper. So pretty, pretty cool stuff. You know what's super interesting about this is that you're not like we're talking about dragging an image. But you're not really like at a high level, you are dragging an image. But when you're writing the code, you're not writing code to drag an image. You're writing code to track the finger movement. And then you're writing other code to set the position based off the movement. Yeah. So it's like you're doing the you're 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 writing the code that's responsible for like the actual like dragging. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really totally. cool, which is just not how I think of it's just not how I think of drag and drop libraries. It's just lower level than we normally operate with, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, it would be like um, instead of having an on click, you would have like an on press and then you would say, oh, if I've pressed for like, you know, 
350 milliseconds. Once I've pressed for 350 milliseconds, execute this function. And that's like you're translating the lower level user um, user data into like these semantic events and interpreting them as like a meaningful event. But the raw data is like, actually, I'm just pressing it, you know, mm -hmm. and then letting go. There really is no such thing as a click because like all clicks are not the same, right? Like they last different amounts of time. You might move the mouse while your mouse is down. So it's not really a click. It's a drag. So like all that kind of stuff is, is, is stuff that we usually don't have to worry about. And it's definitely stuff that native devices have always had better options for like native devices have always provided richer gesture APIs again. So you don't have to do that, but it can be nice when you want to do something custom that you have the ability to do that and the control to do that with this library, because it's just giving you the raw facts of what's happened. You've moved the mouse this many pixels, you know, your mouse was down this time and then it came up this time. Okay. What do I want that to mean for my app? So I'm happy that I got to learn this library because I feel like this is really good thing to know if I ever run into something like this again. If you're, if you were building an app, like, I don't know, Trello, where you're just dragging cards between each other, would you, would you reach for this first? Would, would you be like, I, I know enough of this? It's a good question. You know, I know Dan Abramov worked on one of the early drag and drop libraries in react. And I know people liked it a lot. Um, I was doing more Ember at the time. So I didn't, when I needed that, I, I, I wasn't around when that was more popular. So I think I would check that stuff out, but um it is true that again it kind of goes back to this trade-off like thinking about d3 are you going to use like high charts or a charting library or you're going to use d3 and once i learned d3 i kind of always reach for d3 because you just want i always want to be able to make it exactly what i want i think it's like the more important it is for your app the more it makes sense to go and do it yourself and so something like trello where dragging is pretty fundamental uh, I mean, again, think about it. You could make it where like you drag and when you get close, it like snaps to it. And then like a as you move it, it like sticks there, you know, instead of just sticking with your mouse. So um, I think I think like the iPad uh, OS had that where you like you're doing it and it, like the thing almost has like some gravity or magnetism yeah, where yeah, it kind of sticks. Yeah. So I think um, it'd be pretty cool to do that, you know, custom with this just because, again, you wouldn't ever get in a spot where the, but yeah, it just, it just is a, it's a trade off like everything. But if I was really, really wanting to make a polished, polished UX, like I would definitely reach for this. Cool. So yeah, it's really cool. Um, I think there could be some more examples. Like the guides are still a little tough to wrap your head around some things. Like most of these libraries are, it's just, there's a lot, it's like very low level. So it can be, I can get overwhelmed with that stuff, but like you yeah. just, Eventually, I had landed on something that was pretty cool. And there was this one function that was like, I just wanted to call. Yeah, remember, we we were like, we were using some, I showed you the code. This, again, it was like three weeks ago, so I can't remember it or maybe even more. But I, eventually, I found something from Framer Motion that was like an animate function that you pass in a motion value. And that was, that worked out better than when I called set and I was changing the duration in the spring in the based beginning on, of the render function based yeah. on uh that so once i found that it really clicked and, and the pieces fit in together really nicely um because you get an animate function that takes an emotion value and also takes some options for how to animate so uh sometimes you don't want there to be any transition and sometimes you do so that was like the missing piece so yeah i just think it's good to get reps in with it and learn it because i just it's really powerful you know um 
Yeah, I love it. I love so, yeah. I love everything about this story. So yeah. I'm really excited to see uh to see what you make with the video yeah. series. Yeah, I hope the series will be about like five videos. Um, you can always go more with this stuff and tweak every little thing. You know, someone on the first video commented, like when you pinch to zoom, you actually want, like what I do is pinch in and just adjust the scale. But if you think about it, you want it to be the origin of the zoom to be where you're pinching. So there are Mm -hmm. sometimes if you're pinching in the corner and it's zooming over here, the origin is over here. It feels odd. And so actually the creator of react use gesture commented on my video first saying good job and like this is cool and he was explaining some option that i put in adding a little bit more color to like why it's there um and then he responded to this person with like a code sandbox and uh uh an example of here's how you do it so i gotta look at that and see if that's maybe something i'll add at some point in the series but you can always refine it even more right these things tend to be like that you can always make them a little bit more polished but yeah uh, pretty cool yeah and if you ever want the attention of some library author you just make a youtube video yeah exactly um so that was really fun yeah um excited to get back into that though we have some consulting we've been doing so that's been taking up some time but i definitely am trying to going to be trying to stick with the youtube channel this year um absolutely like that's basically my number one priority so um i've been having a lot of fun with it but you know covid times are my office is empty here you're stuck over across the river so i'm going to try to get this thing set up so i can just pop in and, and record a video so i'm excited about getting back into all that stuff cool so cool man well uh how about we uh, wrap it up there a little light first episode to get us back in the swing of things i think if we start doing this every week it'll feel good we'll get back into it and be excited to have lots of stuff to talk about i know i mean there's just a lot there is a lot of things going on um it'd be fun to talk about the hot wire rail stuff um did you have a chance? Have you listened to DHH on uh, Full Stack Radio yet? He was on there talking about it. No, I haven't. Um, definitely want to listen to that and definitely want to play with it. Yeah. I, I can't really see myself using it, but I just, I want to just like soak in all these yeah. things. So. Yeah. I know. I'll always be interested in, in DHH's thoughts on, on everything, but it, it was interesting listening to the podcast because he talked about basically a big part of his motivation is is ruby like a huge part of like all these tools you know is wanting to use ruby and stay with it and that's not how i feel like at all you know so um you know it's interesting though it kind of is how you feel it's just you you want to use javascript yeah not switch he wants to use ruby and not not switch but it's like probably the same type of friction you know absolutely so my opinion is like it's true i mean if i had started if I had started web development a couple years earlier than I did, I started in like 2012, 2013. If I'd started in like 08, 07, 08, probably would have done a lot more Rails, probably would have written a lot more Ruby. Um, and maybe I would have, once the JavaScript shift started coming, I would have wanted to push back and resist it. But these days, like I like JavaScript a lot, but it's more that if I'm going to be writing some JavaScript, <laughs> like the bar for me is so low. Like... <laughs> Okay, maybe if I was writing like 10 lines of JavaScript, I'd be okay with it. But I know in any Rails app, I'd be writing more than that. Um, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, that's, a whole, that's my whole argument for client-side apps. Yeah. What, React or Vue or Ember, whatever. Is yeah. That you're going to have to build that dropdown. So you might as well, that auto-completing dropdown. So you might as well use a tool that's that helps you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, that'd be fun to poke around with that and uh, and then maybe we can share our thoughts. Yeah. But um it's good to be back. It's a slow start to the year. I'm optimistic. I'm 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 optimistic for sure, but it still feels slow and I wish that the city was I miss the energy of the city, especially around this time of year when it's dark early. I miss coming walking through the streets and seeing everyone going to their jobs and everything. So definitely does not feel like that in New York yet. Um but uh it'll get there eventually. Yeah. We got people getting I have friends who've gotten the vaccine. Oh, really? Yeah, they work in the hospital. So the two of them actually. Um That's awesome. Yeah, they got the vaccine. One of them her arm hurt like for a long time. Basically like a flu shot, but she said it was it really hurt. Huh. Um but yeah, they have the vaccine. It's pretty crazy. Super cool. Yeah, she might grow a third arm or something <laughs> out of her hip. So we'll see. <laughs> Anyways, I guess that'll do it for us this week. Uh, excited to be back. Hopefully everyone had a great uh, Christmas and a new year. And um, thanks for listening. We will see you all next week. Bye.